Icon family, for the better part of seven plus years, I have had the privilege of preparing sermons weekly. And over that time, two quotes now come to mind whenever it's time to prepare a sermon. One of them is biblical, and one of them is what you might call axiomatic. Uh, this uh, maxim that's been credited to just about everybody who's ever put pen to paper, including Augustine. And the quote is this, if I had more time, I would have written less. Now, I would say this is pretty good advice for any public speaker. And why? It takes a lot of time to organize words in these concise but meaningful sentences. Contrastly, a, a long and rambling sermon doesn't need as much preparation. It actually takes more preparation to take a lot of ideas and find ways to organize them in these bite-sized chunks that people can hold on to and dig into and go, and go deep. So the biblical quote that also pops up in mind whenever I'm writing or preparing a sermon, it comes from our passage today in John 12, verses 20 through 26. We've been, we've been going through this series as we head uh, to, toward Easter Sunday. And so as we're in this period of Lent and we're walking through what it means to follow Jesus, this particular passage, I believe, encapsulates so much of what it means to really follow Jesus, not just to seek after Jesus, but to follow him. And so uh, I'll read this passage and then we'll get it. Well, hopefully you can identify the quote that I think of often, but we'll dig deeper into that. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they went, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and requested him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. It remains itself, but if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the biblical quote that I was talking about is really in those very, that very first part of the passage. Right now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship in the feast and at the feast. They came to Philip, who's from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. What did they say? Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Now, I believe this should be engraved in every, especially for those who are pastors or preachers. That should be engraved in every office, home office, work office, every pulpit so that preachers never forget these people came to see Jesus. They need Jesus. Now listen, if you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're in ministry of any kind, it's important to remember that when you're communicating, when I am communicating, when we are communicating, there are a lot of things that we include in, in our communication. The story about the pet is hilarious or the unforeseen mishap on a vacation that might connect tangentially to this text, that works. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I understand there are high expectations laid upon preachers and pastors and communicators. It's hard to keep people engaged week in and week out. It's hard when you know that you're communicating to people who are trafficking in curated uh, uh, messages that have been brought to them from politicians, late night comedians, and all of them have an army of writers. And if you're a preacher, you are alone. And all of that's true. And these things aren't bad things, but it's vitally important that you remember, that I remember, that when we are gathering with people who are in church, they have come to see Jesus. They have not come to see you. They have not come to see me. And worshipers, believers, seekers, please don't forget this. Come to see Jesus. Do not come to see the preacher. It's, it can be entertaining and fun and I'm curious, you know, how they're going to do it and what, uh, what from their personality will they add. And all those things are wonderful. God has gifted people through their own personalities to communicate the word of God in various ways with various flavors. But the ultimate reason why we come together is to see Jesus. So that is something that I remember regularly and I would encourage you to do, to do that as well. Come to see Jesus. People need to see Jesus. Now, in this passage, we don't really know what the motivations were for these Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. Now, we know that they were, they were Greek, and so I would tend to believe that they were great thinkers. I imagine them to be those who have the same cultural values as those in Greek culture. I would imagine that uh, they spend time pondering the great questions of life, speculating with the likes of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. I would imagine that they have uh, ascertained a, a significant gap in their life. And so they are seeking out this great rabbi, this great thinker, this great communicator from Nazareth. Ultimately, we don't know. We don't know why they desired to, to have this interview with Jesus. But what we do know is how Jesus answered Philip and Andrew when they told him about these Greek men. And what was his answer? To put it quite simply, two words. I die. That's his response. Those who want to seek Jesus, he responds to them, I die. I've come to die. And there are some implications for us. If Jesus came to die, then there, there is, to some degree, a, a way in which we also have to die. And we'll talk about what, what it is we die to. But back to seekers. Uh, John chapter 12, in this chapter, he lists a lot of different people who sought out Jesus. The problem is, many of those who sought out Jesus, and I would say many of us who seek out Jesus, our biggest problem is we already have a preconceived notion. We already have a, a preconceived image of who God must be in our minds. They did the same. All of these folks that you see in the early part of chapter 12 were people who already had an image of God in their minds. And here the Greeks seem to be the most open-minded. They seem to be the ones who have uh, the, the, a, a much more open hand on who Jesus might be. So what does that mean? These other folks that sought Jesus, much like us sometimes, 
They sought Jesus not really to discover Christ, but to reinforce their image of God. Be very careful about starting with what you assume God must be, because you will find him. You will find some version of that Jesus somewhere. You will find some way that that, that Jesus has been uh, curated for your own desires. And then you will look to reinforce that image elsewhere. This is what we saw uh, in this chapter. Judas Iscariot, look at it at the very beginning of chapter 12. He, here he is. He interrupted Mary while she was pouring all this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And what does he do? He fakes concern for the poor. Remember what his quote was? Well, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? I mean, that was worth a year's wages. In other words, he's like, I mean, Jesus is great and all, but we've got some real practical concerns. As if Jesus doesn't already care for the poor. But this is what he did. He's got this preconception of what should be and what Jesus should look like or what they should be concerned with. Well, Jesus is great, but we've got these other issues. Look at what happened next in chapter 12. We're, we're told about these chief priests who were kind of hanging around Mary and Martha's house. Why? Because Lazarus was there. And if you remember earlier, Lazarus is the one Jesus raised from the dead. So what were they doing there? They were there to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Why? Way too many people were putting their faith in Jesus. Way too many people were beginning to follow Jesus. So what were they thinking? Well, a miracle resurrection, that's cool, that's impressive, but we have other cultural and nationalistic concerns. So this movement has to stop. You see, because the real God that they were looking for, the Messiah they were looking for, was going to have more substantive ways to show cultural nationalistic concerns, caring about restoring and making Israel, uh, Israel great again. This mega movement is what they wanted. And so they thought this whole Jesus movement has to stop. And then we come to the Palm Sunday worshipers. What had they done? They had hailed Jesus as king. They had screamed out, yelled out, worshiped, Hosanna in the highest. There is our king, the king of the Jews, the Messiah has come. Because they, like us, want a strong leader. Until we don't. Most of those people who hailed Jesus as king on Sunday were nowhere to be found when Jesus, the Lamb of God, had died. Still others who had heard about the miracle of Lazarus's resurrection, they came to see him. But the question is, how many of these folks who came to see him had been ignoring all of his preaching up until a miracle was a part of the equation? See, they're no different than us as well. I'd really believe if I saw something amazing happen, even though maybe there's something amazing that happened in the past, but, but that amazing thing, for whatever reason, God is only as good as his last miracle, so I need another one to validate that I can really trust what's being said. So for all of these folks, whether it's the Greeks, whether it's Judas, whether it's the priests, whether it's the crowds, Jesus' final answer is this, I die. I die. If you want to follow me, to follow me is to see who I am authentically first. To follow me is to know who I truly am and why I have come. Because my mission will become your mission. This is the same answer to all of us who look for Jesus in all the wrong places and for all the wrong reasons. There are, many, there, there are as many Jesuses out there as there are people. 
If you want a Republican Jesus, you can find him. A Marxist Jesus, you will find him. A self-help Jesus, he's there. A life coach Jesus, he's there. You want a conservative Jesus? Check. Democrat Jesus? Easy. No problem. Why? There are many churches, many podcasts, many books, many people who will give you exactly what you are looking for. But I wonder if the visitors who came to Philip had any idea what they were asking. I wonder if we know what we are asking when we say, I want to see Jesus. Am I wanting to see the preconceived Jesus or do I want to see the Jesus that actually exists? I mean, it seems like a pretty simple request, right? It seems pretty easy, but Jesus's response here is not simple. I'm not sure what, what answer they expected to hear. I don't know what the Greeks expected to hear. Frankly, I don't know what answer Philip and Andrew expected to hear when they went to find Jesus for those Greeks. But I can tell you what, I bet they didn't expect to hear about death. They were looking for someone to make life whole again. They were looking for any number of things that were going to be good for them, bring them comfort. This is not the answer they were expecting. And I would assume it's not the answer we expect or you expect when we ask to see Jesus, but it is the answer Jesus gives. I would suggest that we never forget Jesus's answer to the Greek man's request when he said, sir, we would like to see Jesus, to which Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, many, much fruit, as the, as the text says. It's interesting that when you look at how Jesus talks about his mission and his life and, and what it means to follow Jesus, somehow death and seeing Jesus are always intimately related. Here's what this means. In order to see Jesus, it includes more than just looking at him. It is more than just believing things that Jesus said and believing things that Jesus did. Those things are passive. But if we're following Jesus, we follow him as participants and not just as spectators. If we want to see Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, then we have to learn to die. We have to learn to die. To the degree that we avoid and deny death, we refuse to see Jesus. And I'm not just talking about physical death here. That's included. We all will die. But in order to follow Jesus, it's got to be something deeper than that because everybody dies. And so that doesn't mean everybody follows Jesus. There's something we have to die to in, our, in ourselves. Seeing Jesus, following Jesus means dying to all the parts of our life that blind us. Fear. The need to be right or the need to be in control, anger and resentment, the guilt and the disappointments of our past, maybe our attachment to power, wealth, reputation, privilege, the ways in which we separate ourselves from one another, our obsessions, our compulsions, our emotional agendas, the ways in which we hurt one another the ways in which we damage relationships. Ultimately, it, following Jesus means dying to our own self-sufficiency. To, to, to die to ourself 
is to let go of our life in order to receive God's life. I let go of the things that I value most in order to cling to the things God values most. You see, this work of dying is difficult. It's painful. And as Jesus describes, it is soul troubling. Why? Because this shakes us to the core. You see, when I'm told that I have to give up something that I've been clinging to, I have to die to that. And that hurts. Anything that I value highly, it costs me something to lose it. And so following Jesus costs you something. It might cost you your comfort. It might cost you your privilege. It might cost you your materials. It might uh, cost you your position. And so those are the negative aspects of dying. Yes, it costs us something. We lose something. But dying also clarifies and heals our vision our ability to see and then follow. We see a new life, a new way of being. And after seeing, we can start to live that out. It looks like Jesus and, it, and his way of living and his way of being. That's what all of these days leading up to Easter is about. And frankly, this is what following Jesus in our lives is about. It's, about, it's a school for learning how to die. Following Jesus is a school for learning how to die to self. And death is the window through which we see Jesus. Now be careful because it's true. Death is this window through which we see Jesus. It is the primary way that Jesus describes himself, his purpose, his role, and what it means to follow him. But we have to be careful that we don't get stuck looking at the window rather than through the window. Because dying is not the end. Dying is but a means, a way of transforming who we are. Some people, they resist following Jesus because they're like, oh, I'm going to have to give up so much. I'm going to have to give up the things that brought me so much comfort. I'm 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 going to have to give up the things that brought me so much joy. And what we don't realize is, By dying to those things and exalting some other things as more important, we actually begin to take on real joy and real comfort, a comfort that does not pass, that does not fade. So if you want to see Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, look for the ways in which, or maybe even look for the places where your life is most guarded. Where is your life most insulated? Where is your life most isolated? Because those are the places of blindness. Those are the places that most likely need to die. Each one of those is that grain of wheat that contains much fruit. Think about that. Jesus is saying that a seed by itself might look beautiful and you might love. It might be the most symmetrical seed round on all sides perfectly round or perfectly oval and smooth and great to look at, beautiful. There might be ornate kind of design on the seed and it might look wonderful, but it is most fruitful when it dies. It is most fruitful when it goes into the ground, falls into the, into the earth and dies. And what Jesus is saying is that the things you're clinging to, when you let it go, when you let it fall into the earth and die, you will see Jesus and only then will you follow Jesus. 
Our problem is we look for Jesus in all the wrong places because we are looking to glorify ourselves, to comfort ourselves, to reinforce what we already believe to be true, to validate ourselves. I'll follow a Jesus that already validates me. I'll follow a Jesus that reminds me how good I am. Or or I'll follow a Jesus that allows me to overlook the ways that I sin against him and the ways that I sin against my neighbor. If I can find, as we said, a political version of Jesus that gives me permission to not have to love certain people, that's the Jesus that I follow. You realize that one of the main reasons why people either reject uh, Christianity or reject following Jesus or fall away, it's not just because they want to do all these horrible things. It's because they have witnessed people who have loved a version of Jesus that validates their refusal to love others the way he's loved them. And so in order to truly bring us, say that we're following Jesus, we've got to die to ourselves and all of those counterfeit Jesuses that we have been worshiping. And, and when Jesus says the hour is now, he's saying, I'm here to die. I'm not here to just throw a party. And ultimately, my death, in my death, God will have his greatest glorification. And if Jesus's death glorified God, then our dying to ourselves glorifies God. And the glorification of Jesus is found then in the last place we would ever look, the cross, death. To follow, many times we say we want to follow Jesus until we find out who he really is. And then we, we, we choose otherwise. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? I die is Jesus's answer to your request. And what an answer that is. His answer is love. He puts himself in our place. His death for our life. His righteousness for our sin. This actually means freedom from guilt. This means freedom from fear. Do you understand When we're able to die to our past, die to our shame, die to the ways that we comfort ourselves because we feel shame. We don't have to live in that anymore. There's freedom from that guilt. There's freedom from that fear, even the fear of death. It truly means life forever. So, worshiper, seeker. I encourage you, keep asking that question with an open mind. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And never forget his answer. He dies. To follow Jesus is to die to self. And that may not be the image of God that you had in mind. It's not what many of us had in mind either, but it is the only and the best answer there ever could be. Because when we die to self, Only then did we find real comfort, real hope, real salvation, because that is the Jesus that exists and not just the Jesus we've made up. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for the ways in which you show us who you really are. God, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each one of us so that we would know not just the Jesus we've built up in our mind, not just the Jesus that meets all of the vicissitudes of our personalities and our desires and our experiences. God, I pray that you would indeed meet us where we are, but always reveal who you are and that who you are is not contingent upon what we're looking for, what we need, what we've been through. 
Show us who you are authentically. Show us all the ways in which we need to die to the areas in our lives that do not look like you. Ways in which we need to die to the things we cling to that do not look like you. And let it be done for your glory and not ours. Lord, let us see you and empower us to follow you. Even to the point of death and to the point of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Receive this benediction of God together with me. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you.